When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 23, and we are recording on Wednesday, April 11th. I am Katie McLean, along with Rincey Abraham, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincey. How are you? Good. So when we were, or when you were doing that intro, I realized that the day this episode comes out is going to be Friday the 13th. <gasps> And so it is. I completely forgot about that. I know. It's like one of those things where I like don't make the connection because I feel like I'm only ever thinking about what day it is or I'm thinking about what the date is like in like a general calendar sense. So I feel like I always miss when it's Friday the 13th. But when you said Wednesday the 11th, I like did the math in my head really quick and I was like, oh, Friday the 13th. Oh, I'm going to have to watch a special movie now. (laughs) I don't know which one, but I always try to watch something spooky or crime related on Friday the 13th. I mean, honestly, I feel like that's the only thing you can do. I mean, I might pick up a book because I don't actually like scary things, but... Oh, I I just thought... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just saying I have plenty of books sitting on my shelf they're not necessarily horror or scary things but i could I, obviously we have missed plenty of mysteries and thrillers that i need to read so uh, i was just thinking that might be the perfect opportunity for blaine and i to go see the quiet place oh my gosh my friend went to go see it this week and i was talking to her about it and i was like oh man the way she talked about it because she's also someone who doesn't like scary movies but she wanted to see it because it's john krasinski and emily blunt and uh-huh. like who doesn't want to see them so she was talking about it and she was like it is scary but it's also just really good and I'm like oh man I'm gonna have to watch this one (laughs) (laughs) yeah I heard from a couple of like friends and family members who went to see it and they're like oh my gosh it's so intense and it's so good and I'm like oh I can't wait to see it oh some oh okay we might have Friday the 13th plans now Uh, (laughs) I'll have to I'll have to tell Blaine hey I made plans for us (laughs) By the way, if you weren't aware, it's Friday the 13th, so we're going to the movies (laughs) to see A Quiet Place. (laughs) No, he was actually the first one to bring up going to see it this weekend, and I wasn't sure if I'd be able to because I have a bunch of other random stuff going on. But now that I've remembered that Fridays are a thing... um, You know, Fridays happen, yep. and I don't have to work this weekend, so I'm like, hey, this might work out quite well. There you go. Um, so yeah, if you guys have special plans for Friday the 13th, let us know. I I need to get ideas for the next Friday the 13th. Um, so if you are joining us for the first time, welcome. We talk about mysteries, uh, suspense, crime, uh, sometimes scary things, sometimes just, you know, whatever happens in the realm of mysteries and suspense novels or adaptations 
or anything along those lines. We like to talk about it here. Um, we also really love to get uh, feedback and suggestions from listeners. So if you have an idea or a question or a topic or an author or anything that, that piques your interest that you think would be cool for us to talk about on the show, let us know. We have our contact information at the end of the episode. Um, and I actually just checked my uh, Book Riot email for the first time in a few days, and we had gotten like three or four forwarded messages from people uh, talking about uh, things that they that they were interested in hearing about on the show. So if you have sent in suggestions, that's awesome. I love it. And uh, hopefully we should be able to get to some of those in the near future. Um, but yeah, so yeah, if you're if you're listening to us for the first time, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. We're so happy to have you. And uh, with that, Rincy, please tell us about this amazing giveaway that we're doing. Yeah, so Book Riot is hosting a giveaway that everyone who's listening to this podcast will want to enter. It's a mystery thriller giveaway. They're giving away 15 of the best new mysteries of the year so far. And these are all from different diverse authors. Um, that means both people of color as well as LGBTQ authors. <clears throat> the giveaway is open until May 9th. And there are so many different books listed on here, including uh, Women on Malabar Hill, which we've talked about before, um, The Perfect Nanny, which has been getting a lot of buzz this year, uh, Before I Let Go, which we've mentioned before on the podcast, Down the River Unto the Sea by Walter Mosley. Um, there's an Asma Zayanat Khan book on here as well. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of them. Death by Dumpling by Vivian Chen, which uh, Katie mentioned last time in the new releases section. So there are, again, 15 different books being given away. All you have to do is head to bookriot.com slash mystery giveaway. There'll also be a link in the show notes as well. So you can just click on that and you will just have to fill out the form that's on that page. You can also check out all of the rules and whatnot. Um, and then when you fill out that form, you're also going to get signed up for the Unusual Suspects newsletter, which is the mystery thriller newsletter, which I feel like everyone who's listening to this podcast also should be subscribed to because Jamie does a great job of collecting different mystery thriller news as well as new releases and backlist releases and things like that that you should be paying attention to. Uh, so again, you can head to bookriot.com slash mystery giveaway to enter and it is open until May 9th. Yeah, and since we are not eligible to enter as Book Riot employees, we must encourage you to go out and enter, you know, and, and think of us as, as you enter. At the very least, if you don't win, you can add all of these titles to your reading list. I mean, honestly, like so, a couple, there's like a handful on here that I haven't heard of before, which makes me very excited because I've always feel like because we do this and obviously I pay attention to mysteries and thrillers anyways, like I have a pretty decent sense of like the new releases. But there are a handful on here where I was like, oh, I haven't even heard of that one. And it sounds really interesting. Definitely. So... We have a fantastic lineup of news-related items that I'm so excited to get to. So number one on the list, oh my goodness, the mystery gods have looked down and smiled on us. Tana French is coming out with a new novel this year. Woohoo! Ah! I when uh I think yeah, Rincy, you tagged me in Twitter. That was the first I heard about it. And I know our Twitter exchange was just a lot of like ahs and screaming and gifts and stuff like that. And then I texted two of my best friends who are huge Tana French fans. And 
our text messages were just screaming back and forth. And then I posted on Facebook and a couple of people commented and that was just a lot of screaming back and forth. <laughs> so, I mean, unfortunately, that's about all we can say at the moment. There's not a whole lot that we know about the book. Um, it is called The Witch Elm. It is a standalone novel, which is really unusual because all six of her last books have been part of the Dublin Murder Squad series, and they've all been um, they and they've been sequential. But they they take it where you know a my a secondary character in one book becomes the main character of the next one, and so on and so forth. So you get like this kind of loosely connected network of detectives and relationships and stuff that's really really cool. But this is her first standalone. And I know it it has something to do with, I don't have the synopsis in front of me, but I think the main character is like his rich uncle dies or something, and he goes to his estate where they find human skulls in the backyard or something like that, um, which I'm like, yeah, that, that sounds about right for a Tana Front novel. And I believe it comes out, it's in October. It's October 9th. October 9th, I was right. Okay, so it comes out October 9th. So, Mark, get those countdown calendars started. Um, I know one of one of my friends who I told about this, she told me she pre-ordered that book so fast she had to double-check to make sure that she hadn't accidentally bought it twice. <laughs> I'm like, these are the kind of friends I love having in my life. I understand this. Um, so, and I know that many of you are also Tana French fans, or we have recruited you to become Tana French fans. So I am sure you are sharing in our excitement and our screaming and Muppet flailing arms when we say that she has a new book coming out this year. Ah, so excited. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize because like she's pretty much on like clockwork in terms of like coming out with a book every two years. I hadn't realized it had been two years at this point since yeah. uh, The Trespasser came out. I feel like just because I'm always talking about her books, but I'm also just really, I'm like a little bit sad that it isn't another Dublin Murder Squad series just because it's always interesting to see sort of like who she picks for her protagonist for the next books. Uh, but I am kind of excited for a standalone one to just to see how it is in general, although most of her books sometimes generally feel like a standalone uh, but two I also feel like this is a really good way to get more people to become Tana French fans because like the Dublin Murder Squad series I'm sure at this point can seem kind of intimidating I mean we've done an entire episode on Tana French by the way so if you are relatively new to the podcast definitely go check that one out I'm not sure what episode number it is but we talk a little bit about like the reading order with Dublin Murder Squad and things like that and if you should read them in publication order or if it matters or not how you pick them up and instead of having that whole discussion with people when recruiting them to the Tana French fan club you can just hand them this book and be like here it's a standalone see how good it is so I mean I'm assuming it's going to be good obviously there is a chance that it could not be but I have a feeling that it's a small chance um, so minuscule yeah so I'm assuming so I'm kind of excited for this one just because I feel like this would be a really great way to be like be an intro to Tana French if people are like unsure of whether or not they're going to like her you can be like here read this one book and you can get a good sense without like having to feel like you're committing to a series which a yeah. lot of people don't like to do yeah definitely um yeah I told one of my co-workers that Tana French was coming out with a new novel and I told her to try it because I told her to read or she read In the Woods which is the first book in the series 
And she hated the ending so much that she wanted to throw the book against the wall. And I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> I, I told her, I'm like, well, in the meantime, if you want to try another one of her novels, I'm like, try this one in the series. Or she's coming out with a standalone. So because she was like, I loved her writing style, but at the ending, I'm like, I know, I know. Deep breaths. It's OK. We'll get through this. Um, but yeah, so she's got a new book coming out and I can guarantee you that when it comes, well, I can guarantee you first, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to get my grubby little mitts on an advanced copy. Yes. Cause I've gotten a digital advanced copy for her last two books and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep the streak going. Um, and I can, I can promise all of the listeners that as soon as we read it and it is published, we will be gabbing about it. For sure. All right. Uh, the next piece of very exciting news that we have is that the Cormoran Strike adaptation is finally getting released here in the United States. Um, I believe they've run through the entire series so far over in England, um, and it's finally been picked up here. It's going to be playing on Cinemax, which is part of the HBO network. I definitely did not realize Cinemax was still a channel on television, but I think that HBO is trying to sort of bring that brand's awareness back up. And to do so, they have picked up the Corman Strike series. It's called CB Strike. So if you hear or see people talking about CB Strike, don't be confused. That is the Corman Strike series. Um, and it is going to premiere on Friday, June 1st. So you can mark your calendars for that. I'm not exactly sure how Cinemax works. I don't even, like, we have cable here at my house. I don't even know if I have Cinemax. Uh, I will have to look into that or if Cinemax is available via the HBO Go app, if you have access to that and you know, let us know. Um, but yeah, this will be uh, three hour long episodes based on the first book in the trilogy, which is The Cuckoo's Calling, which both of us have read and adored. Um, and then it's is followed by adaptations of two the two other books, which will consist of two one hour episodes. Uh, so I think it's five episodes total is what it's looking like. Um, I didn't pay any attention to it when it was, I was originally like thinking about like maybe bootlegging it when it was playing over in England, but I decided to be patient, but I had seen like people talking about it in a general sense. And it seemed like it got pretty good reviews um, in terms of it being a really good adaptation or a really interesting adaptation. So I'm kind of excited to finally be able to check it out myself. Yeah, and um, I think it's actually seven episodes yeah. from it. It's the wording's a little ambiguous in the article, but it says uh, Silkworm and Career of Evil, which are books two and three, both of which will consist of two one hour episodes. So yes. I think it's like three for Cuckoo's Calling and then two for the Silkworm and two for Career of Evil. Yes, that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say Career of Evil starts off with someone mailing Robin a severed leg, and you cannot have a one you cannot have a one hour episode in a mystery that involves mailing someone a severed leg yeah that's for <laughs> that's sure that's pro- i was i was gonna say that's probably gonna end up as the episode title <laughs> <laughs> i'm not saying it won't i'm not saying it will but it probably will <laughs> we'll see how the rest of the episode goes oh lordy um and then speaking of hbo um or in in HBO News, HBO Docs bought the rights to Michelle McNamara's book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is a true crime book that we have talked about multiple times on this episode, uh, or not this episode, this, this podcast, oh boy, um, 
Although I don't think either of us has had a chance to read it yet. It's just it, it's just so intriguing that we can't stop talking about it. Um, but they uh, HBO bought the rights to the book, which they're going to be uh, adapting as a like a mini documentary, a docu series. And um, if you have not heard us talk about the book yet or don't know anything about it, the short version is that the author, Michelle McNamara, she's a crime journalist, um, crime reporter, and she spent uh, a long time tracking the crimes of a notorious or of a serial raper and a serial killer that she um, that she dubbed the Golden State Killer. Um, and she and so the book talks it's like part memoir but it also talks about her investigations and then when she was in the middle of writing this book um in 2016 she unexpectedly died in her sleep um and she was also married to Patton Oswald so it was it was a big you know it, it was a huge news item and the book got finished um Gillian Flynn wrote an intro, introduction Patton Oswald writes the afterword for the book it's on the New York Times bestseller list it's gotten a huge amount of attention um from readers everyone who I've talked to who's read it says that it's just absolutely amazing and now it looks like HBO is going to be uh, is going to be taking this on as a docu series. So I don't think yeah there isn't any any other news other than that they've just picked up the rights to it. So um, as we get more information, we'll be sure to let you know. Um, but yeah, this is another one. Um, yeah, another book that's been way really high up on my on my list for a while. Um, so that's, that's what I'm going to have to read before, before the, uh, HBO series comes out. I know I was, when I first heard about the news, I was like super excited, but part of me always feels like a little bit sad because obviously Michelle, Michelle McNamara passed away. And so I feel like there's been so much, not, I don't want to say hype, but it's just like, there's so much good, like positive feedback that's happening around her book and now with this docuseries it's like a little bit sad that she isn't here to like be able to experience it herself and I'm sure she would have been like a great obviously like contributor and commentator on this docuseries as well so but it's nice that like sort of in her memory like Penn Oswell and everyone else has been like working really hard to make sure the story gets told and gets out there to as many people as possible definitely all right. Uh, before we jump into the main discussion that we have for this episode, I have our first sponsor, and that is Force of Nature by Jane Harper. Uh, you have probably heard us talk about Jane Harper on the podcast in the past. Uh, Force of Nature is her second book. Her debut was The Dry, which was a huge, huge hit last year. A lot of people here at Book Riot really loved it and also read Force of Nature and really enjoyed that as well. Um, in this book, you are following five colleagues who are forced to go on a corporate retreat in the wilderness. Um, so they reluctantly pick up their backpacks and start walking down the muddy path. But one of the women doesn't come out of the woods. So speaking of Tana French, uh, Jane Harper actually gets a lot of comparisons to Tana French. She has very similar sort of like atmosphere vibe. So if you're a ton of French fan and you can't wait to pick up her new book when it comes out this fall and you haven't read Jane Harper yet, you should definitely uh, pick her up. Her book has been on a bunch of like best of lists, including NPR, Amazon. Uh, the Dry was a New York Times editor's choice last year. Um, with Force of Nature, she's bringing back uh, Detective Aaron Falk to investigate the case of five women uh, who are forced on this corporate retreat. Um, and 
I've heard a lot of people even say that this one's even better than The Dry. So if you have read The Dry or whether even if you haven't yet, you can pick up A Force of Nature by Jane Harper, which is out now. And I just got a, a couple of things. One, um, I know I have I have been one of the people that has com- definitely compared Jane Harper to Tana French. I really think she's a really fantastic reader like. So um, I definitely second that uh, comparison. Um, also, I realized that av- that between talking about uh, the I'll be gone in the dark and then Force of Nature, I'm like. I just picked up both of those two books at Barnes & Noble this weekend after bragging to someone that I have been doing so well about not buying books recently. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I bought, like I had those two in my hands within about three minutes of entering Barnes & Noble and then I ended up picking up Burn Baby Burn by Meg Medina. And oh my gosh, that, was, that book is so good. I love that book so much. Oh my gosh. And it was at that point that I told Blade, I'm like, I think you need to get me out of here. <laughs> All right. I mean, you're picking up good books, though, so it's not like... (laughs) I know, but we don't have any room. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) Oh, Lord, help me. Okay, so for uh, for this episode, one of... um, There's a listener who emailed us and asked if we um, if we would talk about kind of in depth about the trope of the unreliable narrator or, as is frequently the case, the unreliable female narrator. And we thought this was a fantastic idea, A, because it's, you know, it's so popular and so common in novels nowadays, and B, because we've, between the two of us, we've read enough novels that feature this that we didn't have to read a new one. to talk about it with authority. Um, so I'm like, this will, this will, this will be a good, a good discussion. Um, so I know I've got, I've read, a I feels like a billion and one books that use the unreliable female narrator, but are you a fan of the, the unreliable narrator or what, I, what's your take on it? So here's the thing. So this is also a question I wanted to ask you. Part of me I am a fan of it, but I feel like the problem that I'm running into now is that part of what's fun about an unreliable narrator in general is like not knowing that they're unreliable going into the book a lot of times. So like for me, like the classic or not classic, but like sort of like the modern classic version of this is Gone Girl, which no spoilers, but very much has an unreliable female narrator at the forefront um, or unreliable narrators, I suppose you could say. Um, And the fact that you don't know that going into the book, when I was reading it for the first time, like my mind was blown (laughs) (laughs) once I realized what was happening. And so I feel like I'm losing that a little bit right now with some of the books that are coming out because it's very clear because they're marketing it as like the next Gone Girl or the next Girl on the Train, which also has this um, this theme. Um, and so you go into it knowing that they're unreliable and I feel like it loses some of the fun of what this or some of the interest or what's like makes this book tick. Like you lose a little bit of that like specialness. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I like... Yeah, I, it's, it's not like, I, I love, if it's done well, I love a good unreliable narrator, Yeah. but that in and of itself isn't enough to get me to pick up a book. Yeah. And I've had enough, not bad reading experiences, but just kind of meh reading experiences with the, oh, the unreliable narrator. And then you you're, you get to it and it either just feels really contrived or like, 
you know, it, it just does not feel realistic or it feels like it was way overhyped yeah. in the in the description. And it's like, yeah, they're unreliable. You know, you can't really trust them. But I mean, to be perfectly honest, like, isn't every narrator technically unreliable? I mean, <laughs> that's literally what I was about to say. I was like every like the whole point of having like if you're doing a first person perspective in general like you're always going to have a flawed perspective because they are always going to be looking at things from a very specific point of view yeah um and yeah it's and then it also gets into you know like i mentioned there's you know unreliable narrated unreliable narrators but that's really become synonymous with unreliable female narrators yeah and so there's some really there's some interesting things that go that go into that as well. Like I've, I'm finding I'm having more gendered issues with some of these psychological suspense novels that I either didn't um, that I didn't really notice before, either because I hadn't read enough, or b there just weren't so many being published. But you know, a lot of these novels are written by women. Not all of them, but a lot of them are. And, but there, but the idea of like the female narr of, you know, having a female narrator be unreliable, it kind of like, it kind of plays into this cultural thing of like, you know, you can't, you know, you can't trust women. You can't trust them at their word. They're, you know, they're not going to tell you the truth or they're not going to remember the truth because it's too traumatic or it's too, you know, it's too damning otherwise. Um, so I think that might be where I'm getting some of my kind of blah reactions to, to some of these narrators that it's, it, it brings in so many of these, these kind of gender issues that either, either a, I were just aren't doing anything to serve the novel, but B that are, that are just kind of like there, the author doesn't grapple with them. They just, they just kind of put them there. And to me, it just feels, you know, unsatisfying or it just it just feels off in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely can relate to that as well. Like, I feel like a lot of times writers, again, it just comes back to what you were saying earlier, where it's like it's not enough just to have an unreliable narrator or unreliable female narrator. And especially if that's the only real trait to that character like they have to have more dimensions or more things going on to them and the fact that they are unreliable for whatever reason can't be like the only thing that they have going for them because otherwise they just become another caricature of a narrator type exactly yeah and that's that's another thing too i think a lot of these characters feel kind of one-dimensional um if that if their only trait is that is that you can't believe them and i'm like well that's not much of a trait. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to before this episode, but I really wanted to talk to my manager because t- as far as I know, and we do, because I work at a library, we, our whole department talks books all the time. I am pretty sure she is not a fan of the unreliable female narr or the unreliable narrator period. She doesn't, mm. she doesn't do um, like, psychological suspense very much um one book that i read last year um the last mrs constantine i think was no 
I can't remember. I can't, I think it was Constantine. Yeah, I think I that's I think that's right. Yeah, um, I mean that that book did unreliable narrators pretty well. Mm. Um, and she ended up reading it, and I asked her what she thought of it, and she was like, "Well, she's like, I kept turning the pages, but I hated those characters so much." And um, I believe, and I think she said the same thing when I asked her about reading Gone Girl. I'm pretty sure that she said that she hated both of the main characters. And so she, and I did, I really wish that I had gotten an opportunity to ask her, like, like, so what is it that, that bothers you about it? Like, what is it that you, that you don't like? Cause I feel like so many people really like psychological suspense that you don't hear as much from the, from readers who like really don't like reading a book told from a perspective that's not, that, that you can't really trust. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like I said, I love it, but yeah, so I'm, I don't know, maybe, maybe I can talk to her before the next episode and I can have like a follow-up. Yeah. I think like part of it is just like one of the things that I've seen people talk about with TV shows is that there needs to be some sort of set of rules that they abide to. Cause if nothing matters, then why care sort of situation. So I can see people sort of having that attitude. I don't know if that's actually the reason why your manager doesn't like it, but I can see people having that attitude towards like unreliable narrators. It's like, well, if I can't trust anything they're saying, why should I care about anything that's happening almost? Because mm-hmm. like, there's no, I think some, I'm part of it might be like the need for a connection sort of to a character, but I think part of it also comes down to, well, if I can't trust what you're saying, then like, what's the point of continuing to reading? Cause like everything could just be a lie and like, who cares anymore at that point? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so I will have to investigate that a little bit more. Um, but of course, with, with all of these discussions, we also like to give a few book recommendations. Um, my the, the first book that I wanted to mention is, is so funny. This is one of my absolute favorite mystery suspense novels, and I have never talked about it on this show. And so I'm like, okay, this is the perfect opportunity to do that. It's um, it's called Mother Mother by Corin Zalkus. And it's this well the the thing about this book is well it's told it's the when the author wrote it, she was she was drawing very heavily on experiences that she had with her mother in her own family. But the main character of the book, the mother, her name is Josephine. And she is the matriarch of the family. She runs the family. And the story is told through the perspectives of her children. Um, There's Violet, and I really should have done my research beforehand. I can't remember the, the younger brother's name, but they alternate chapters and telling about t- telling about their experiences and what's going on in in their house. Violet is telling this story from a she has been involuntarily committed to a psychiatric ward for supposedly attacking her brother while she was under the influence of some kind of drugs. She doesn't remember what happened, but she doesn't believe that she would have attacked him. Um, but that's what her mother has been telling her and what the people, uh, what the administrators have been telling her, that that's what happened. She needs to get help because of X, Y, and Z. And then the, um, and then the chapters from the younger brother's perspective, he's still at home with, um, with his mother and his parents. And because of the incident there, um, there's a, a representative from Child Protective Services um, that comes out to the house to do an interview with them. 
and because they have to investigate, you know, what's going on. Is there, is there any, are there any cases of abuse in the house? And so you get basically the main character of the book is Josephine, but you never hear anything from her perspective. It's all told from the perspectives of her kids who have very, very different relationships with her. And as the story progresses and you get little bits and pieces of the family's history, you get little bits of information from one person and then someone else adds on to it. And you get this slowly compounding idea of just how messed up the family dynamics are. It is bone chilling. It is absolutely bone chilling. Um, this is a book that would come with a, that would come with a trigger warning for, um, emotional abuse because it is from what I have heard from, uh, from other people who have read it. And again, going from the fact that this is based on the author's real experiences, this is a very, this, this is a very accurate portrayal of a very dysfunctional family. Um, and, but it's, it is just such a realistic and like quietly chilling book. It doesn't, um, I mean, it has plot twists in there and stuff like that, but it doesn't have the mega like, oh my gosh moment of that Gone Girl did. It just slowly builds and builds and builds. And you just have this feeling of dread settling in the pit of your stomach as you keep moving through the book. Uh, I have, I've read this book like, I don't know, three or four times since it came out. And each time I'm just, I, I, I just, I can't put it down. And, but inside it's just, it's just this building ominous feeling that I'm like, oh gosh, this is not going to end up well. Um, but it's honestly in terms of, um, and in this case, it's not just an unreal, it's not necessarily, it's not like the one unreliable female narrator. You get two very different, unreliable narrators, you know, one of whom, you know, had possibly been on drugs during a very key moment in this family. And the other one who you, who you come to realize, you know, he's very young and isn't, doesn't maybe realize how he's being manipulated to serve his mother's purposes. So it's a really, really interesting, interesting book. Um, so like I said, it comes, I would give it a trigger warning for emotional abuse, um, but if, if this sounds like it's up your alley, this is, this is like one of those hidden little gems and not, not a ton of people have read, but it's really effective. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. And I definitely have never heard of that book before. So. Yeah. I randomly came across a review of it. I go, Oh, this sounds interesting. And I read it and I was like, Holy cow. <laughs> All right. Um, so the book I wanted to talk about is one that I actually just recently read, and it's called The Night Guest by Fiona McFarland. This is another one that not a lot of people have read. So I guess we're going for like super under the radar books this time around. Um, this one is by an Australian author, and it's not a typical mystery. I would say it's more suspense. But when you're starting the book, you don't realize sort of that it is a suspense book. So you are following um, this older woman who's like 75 years old. She, she's widowed um, and she has two sons who are grown and married and have moved out of the house. Um, she lives in basically like a beach house and you start the story with her waking up in the middle of the night and she's convinced that there's a tiger in her house but she doesn't like get up to go find it because she's too scared and so she calls her one of her sons and he sort of like calms her down and then she like goes back to sleep the next morning 
she's um, at her house. Um, she's hanging out in the backyard. She like lives right off the beach. So she's sort of like watching the whales and watching people on the beach. And someone comes to the house named Fiona, I believe. And she basically says that she is a government care worker who was sent to help take care of her because she's getting older and she needs help around the house. And she has like back pains and things like that. Um, so as the story progresses, I don't want to say too much because, again, these stories all are sort of like suspenseful, slow builds. And you sort of see the state of the main character's mind as well as sort of the intentions of the people around her. I, I'm good. That's all I'm basically going to say. It's not a very long book. I think it's less than 300 pages. Um, but it's very interesting just to see it from sort of like an older woman's point of view just because like she's an unreliable narrator just because you can tell like she's getting older she's losing her memories things like that so she's unreliable in the sense of like sometimes she can't even remember what exactly is happening um and that sort of plays into sort of how you as the reader are reading situations that are happening around her and you as a reader can probably even pick up on things that she's not necessarily picking up on as a character i thought it was really interesting and really good it's one of those that i wish i'd got like i didn't say everything that i knew about the synopsis going into it and it's one of those that i think like the less that you know the better that this book will be because the way that it sort of builds but even still like the ending was really surprising for me and i there are things that I feel like the author did a really good job of like, like hinting at without being too explicit about. And it just like leaves a nice air of like suspense and mystery around the book. That's really interesting. Um, so again, that one is called The Night Guest by Fiona McFarland. Yeah. And then um, real quickly, I wanted to do just kind of a bonus shout out, which I, uh, for the book um, Before I Go to Sleep by S.J. Watson, which I feel like was the Gone Girl of its era before Gone Girl. And I say <laughs> its era, which it came out like two or three years before Gone Girl did. Um, but that that book I read, I read after Gone Girl. Um, and I will not give too much away because this this one, the, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of like building that goes through the novel. But I mean, it's told from the perspective of a woman who has... Um, I can't remember what the exact term is, but she has a, f a form of amnesia where she basically forgets everything up to a certain point in her life, like the last maybe 10 years of her life, she forgets every time she goes to sleep. And so her doctor recommends that she keeps a journal um, of people that she meets and things that she that she remembers. And then when she wakes up in the morning, she kind of reviews the journal um, and, and uh, kind of... <laughs> restocks her memory about things that are going on. Um, and then one morning she wakes up, um, she wakes up and like she reads her journal entries, like my name is so-and-so, you know, my husband is Ben, do not trust him. And this, and then it kind of goes backwards and kind of shows how it gets up to that point and what made her write that. And, you know, can she be trusted? So, I mean, it's literally a woman with a medical condition that causes her to to lose all of these memories. Um, so it's a really interesting, it's, a, I'm, I don't want to draw the same comparison, but like kind of, kind of a similar concept as Memento. I mean, not, I'm not drawing an exact comparison, so please don't come at me on Twitter about saying, about saying how these two things are totally different. Cause I know they are, but the idea that you're like one, you're, 
the main characters building their memories based off of little pieces of like little clues and breadcrumbs that they left that they've left behind for themselves, which may or may not be reliable. Um, but yeah, this one it uh, the, uh, it does take it is kind of a slow burn for a good chunk of the novel, and then just woo takes off like a rocket. Um, but if you're, um, if you haven't read it yet, Before I Go to Sleep by S.J. Watson really is a classic in terms of modern psychological suspense. So I think that's, an, that's another really good one to pick up. Yeah. And uh, it was made into a movie with Colin Firth and Nicole Kidman. I was it like Googling was. it while you were talking uh, because I was like, I know I know this story, but I don't know why because I know I didn't read it as a book. And then I realized that it was a movie too, but apparently yeah. the movie was terrible. So, you know, I, we, do I still own the movie? I don't know. Blaine got it for me for Valentine's Day one year. I don't know what that says. Um, <laughs> um, but we watched it. It wasn't. It wasn't terrible. However, I did watch it a couple years since reading the book, and I have only read it once. I think. Um, so my memory of that is not as good. I remember being still being held in suspense, even though I knew what was going on and what was going going to happen. Um, so that that's one that you can, you know, read the book, watch the movie, and then you can form your own opinion. But yeah, I've, I forgot to mention it. It, it. it was made into a movie a few years ago. Yeah. So let us know. Um, feel free to email us or tweet at us or whatever form of communication that you like. Um, let us know how you feel about unreliable female narrators or unreliable narrators in general, especially if you're someone who doesn't like them necessarily and let us know why because as people who do like them it definitely would be interesting to hear from people who don't and just to get their point of view on sort of this trope and why you might not enjoy it as much all right so i'm going to do our second sponsor for the episode which is enigma by katherine coulter this is the 21st FBI thriller by Catherine Coulter, and it presents agents uh, Savage and Sherlock with two baffling mysteries, and uh, they're working with Agent Cam Whittier and Special Forces Agent Jack Cabot, and all of, the, all of the characters have to race against the clock to catch an international criminal and solve the enigma of the man called John Doe, involving a distraught mother, an Irish killer, and an FBI team running out of time. Um, so Enigma, um, again, is the latest blockbuster FBI thriller by Catherine Coulter, and it is now in trade paperback wherever books are sold. So thank you very much to them for sponsoring the show. All right. Uh, so I have our new releases for this episode. And so the first one is the one that I am the most excited about. Uh, it is Macbeth by Joe Nesba. And this one is already out. It came out on April 10th. Um, so there is this series of books called the Hogarth Shakespeare retelling series where a bunch of different authors are taking on a different Shakespeare play and doing their own twist and retelling on it. And so Joe Nesba is doing Macbeth. And I'm very excited to read this one myself to see how how he does it. Um, so in this, his adaptation of Macbeth, it's set in the 1970s in a rundown rainy industrial town. And you are following a police force that's struggling to shed an incessant drug problem. Duncan, the chief of police is idealistic and a visionary, a dream to the townspeople, but a nightmare for the criminals. Uh, the drug trade is ruled by two drug lords, one of whom a master uh, manipulation named 
Hakate, I don't know if that's the way you pronounce that name, um, has connections with the highest in power and plans to use them to get his way. Uh, His plot hinges on steadily, insidiously manipulating Inspector Macbeth, the head of SWAT and a man already susceptible to violent and paranoid tendencies. What follows is an unputdownable story of love and guilt, political ambition and greed for more, um, exploring the darkest corners of human nature and the aspirations of the criminal mind. And again, that one is Macbeth by Joe Nesba. So if you are a Shakespeare fan or a Joe Nesba fan or you just like dark detective novels, I feel like this one is worth picking up. I definitely am on hold for it already at the library. I'm just waiting for my library to get a copy of it. Um <laughs> The next book that I have is You All Grow Up and Leave Me, a memoir of teenage obsession by Piper Weiss. This is a nonfiction book that is a blend of true crime as well as a coming of age memoir. And so this one... Um, takes place in like the 1990s piper weiss was 14 years old when excuse me when her middle-aged tennis coach gary walensky uh what killed himself after a failed attempt to kidnap one of his teenage students um so he was a private tennis coach for a lot of different uh kids in New York City. Um, In the aftermath, authorities discovered that he was well known on the Upper East Side, but he was also a child predator who built a secret torture chamber called a Cabin of Horrors um, in his secluded rental in, uh, I think, northern uh, New York State. Um, and so this is so Piper is looking back on the events 20 years later um, as both like a teenage eyewitness to this man and the crimes that had happened, or not a witness to the crimes, but sort of being close to everything that had happened, as well as a dispassionate investigative reporter hoping to understand and sort of exercise the childhood memories that still haunt her to this day. Um, so this is a combination of her own personal research and interviews, as well as personal records. And this book will explore sort of the psychological manipulation behind child predators and their ability to charm their way into seemingly protected worlds. Um, So obviously trigger warning for this one if you have triggers for like child abuse, child assault, things like that. This is definitely not one to pick up but I think that it sounds kind of interesting and is a a good point of not good but like it's good to get sort of the perspective on how things like this happen as a way to sort of prevent it from happening in the future Um, and again that one is called you all grow up and leave me by piper weiss and that one is already out today The next one that I have is called The Elizas by Sarah Shepard. She is the New York Times bestselling author of Pretty Little Liars, but this is her adult fiction debut um, that's being described as Hitchcockian double narrative composed of lies, false memories, and a protagonist who must uncover the truth for survival. When debut novelist Eliza Fontaine is found at the bottom of a hotel pool, her family at first assumes that it's just another failed suicide attempt, but Eliza swears that she was pushed and her rescuer is the only witness. Desperate to find out who attacked her, Eliza takes it upon herself to investigate, but as the publication date for her novel draws closer, Eliza finds more questions than answers, like why are her editor and agent and family mixing up events from her novel with events from real life? Her novel is completely fictional, isn't it? Um, The deeper Eliza goes into her investigation while struggling with memory loss, the closer her life starts to resemble her novel, until the line between reality and fiction starts to blur and she can 
can no longer tell where her protagonist's life ends and hers begins. Um, so again, talking about unreliable narrators, this definitely sounds like it is one as well. Um, so if that sounds like something you would enjoy, that's called The Elizas by Sarah Shepard. And that one comes out on April 17th. So next Tuesday. And the final one that I have is called Love and Death in the Sunshine State, the story of a crime by Cutter Wood. And this one also comes out on April 17th. When a stolen car is recovered on the Gulf Coast of Florida, it sets off a search for a missing woman, a local motel owner, Sabine Musil. Um, three men are named as the person of interest, her husband, her boyfriend, and the man who stole her car, and the residents of Anna Maria Island with facts few facts to fuel their speculation begin to fear the worst. Then with days passing quickly, her motel is set on fire, her boyfriend flees the country, and the detectives begin digging on the beach. Uh, so Cutterwood was so this is a nonfiction book, and Cutterwood was actually a guest at the hotel as the search for the missing woman gained momentum, and he found himself drawn steadily deeper into the case and driven by his own need to understand <clears throat> how the relationship could spin to pieces. In such a fatal fashion, he began to meet with the inhabitants of Anna Maria Island, uh, with these earnest but stymied detectives, and with the affable man soon presumed to be her murderer. Uh, but there's only so much that interviews and records can reveal in trying to understand why we hurt those we love. Um, this book is getting compared to sort of like the classic true crime book in Cold Blood, uh, which tells a story that exists outside of sort of like very documented evidence. Um, so if you are interested in true crime books or if you're interested in things that sort of look at these small towns where these cases sort of occur, then you can pick up Love and Death in the Sunshine State by Cutterwood, which again comes out on April 17th. Well, I'm adding all of those to my reading list as usual. <laughs> I mean, honestly, there are so many books that were coming out in these two weeks. It was so hard for me to narrow down which ones I was going to talk about. So if you are wondering why I didn't talk about XYZ book. It's because there's so many coming out <laughs> and we don't have that much time to talk about all of them. Yeah, we would just have an entire episode talking about and then this book's coming out this week and then this one and this one and this one. <laughs> I mean, honestly. <laughs> um, well, let me, I'll give you a little bit of a breather um, and talk about stuff and what I'm what I've recently finished and what I'm currently starting up. Um, I made good on my, my declaration last episode that I was going to finish some of the books that I had talked about starting on previous episodes. And I actually got around to finishing a couple of them. I was so proud of myself. Yay. Um, yay. It was, it was very satisfying to all of a sudden, it's like, Hey, you're a couple books ahead of your Goodreads challenge. I'm like, yeah, I am. Um, <laughs> So um, I have talked about these books all on the show, so I'm not going to do a lengthy synopsis. Um, I did finish The Hunger by Alma Katsu, which was the book that I talked about, which was the Donner Party meets Supernatural for stalking the, the wagon train, which I was like, I needed this in my life last year. Where is this book now? And I... Um, and so, yes, I finished it. It is super creepy and ominous and 
weird and just, ugh, it's so dark. Um, and it was just everything that I wanted and needed it to be. And, uh, yeah, so it's really fantastic. And a really cool thing that I found at the, um, at the end of the book is the book itself, there's a lot of talk of, because the wagon trains are heading west, there's a lot of talk about the Native American tribes and some of their their mythologies and their cultural practices and stuff like that. But at the end of the book, she specifically talked about how she hired a sensitivity reader, a Native um, um, a Native American sensitivity reader, to kind of go over the manuscript and make sure that she was being respectful of the, their, these... Um, these tribes, um, their cultural practices and stuff like that, which I thought was really cool. I, you don't see that uh, mentioned so explicitly in a lot of books. Um, I'm hoping that will be the, more and more the case as, um, as we talk about these issues. But I just thought that was, that was, really, that was really cool to see her talk about um, the work that she put into the, the manuscript to make sure, to make sure that she wasn't hitting on any, you know, any sensitive spots or depicting these, these people in a, in a uh, negative fashion. Um, but again, that was The Hunger by Alma Katsu. And then I also finished uh, the graphic novel My Favorite Thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris, which, holy cow, I got, like, the biggest arm workout from that book. It it's, is so heavy. It's so heavy. Like I just have picked it up while at the bookstore and I'm like, how does anyone carry this anywhere? Like it's a book you need to read at a table. <laughs> yeah. And my and the problem was that I was, you know, I was reading it on the couch, but then one of my cats decided he was going to crawl in my lap. And so I had to like hold it over him because I couldn't rest it on him because it was too heavy. So I, I was like having to hold this book and I had to like keep switching hands and like taking breaks. And it's like, this book is heavy. But it is amazing. It is so creative and imaginative. The artwork is stunning. It's got um, it's got mystery. It has uh, Holocaust history. It has civil rights. Um, it has Chicago in the 1960s. It has diverse characters. It has an LGBT character arc. I mean, it's just got so much just packed into this enormous graphic novel. It's, it's a masterpiece. Um, and of course it hangs on, it, it, it ends on a huge cliffhanger. So I'm like, what do you mean I've got to wait for the next volume now? So, you know, Emil Ferris, I really hope you are, you are drawing your hand off because I want to read the next one. I think the next volume comes out this year. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Cause yeah, that it is just, I'm not typically like I, I'll read some graphic novels, but they're not they're not my format of choice always. Um, this one was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Just even just picking it up and just not even looking at the story, just looking at the artwork. It was is just mesmerizing. Um, so again, that is my favorite thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris. Um, I'm still working on Out by Natsuo Kirino about um, the woman in, who works in a factory who kills her abusive husband and then she and her co-workers uh, work to uh, dispose of the body and cover up the crime. 
Um, so still, hopefully I'll finish that one by the next episode. And then uh, I have just started listening to Etiquette and Espionage by Gail Carriger, which is young adult steampunk, but it has, it has you know, espionage and spying and stuff in there. So it's got some mystery elements to it, um, even though it's definitely more steampunk fantasy than outright mystery. But it is so much fun, and I am enjoying the hell out of this audiobook. Um, so hopefully I will have that one finished quickly as well. And again, Etiquette and Espionage by Gail Carriger. All right. So I haven't read a whole lot in terms of mysteries and thrillers since the last time we talked. Um, I did read The Night Guest, which I had mentioned already. And I had mentioned in the last episode that I was reading The Blindness by Jose Saramago, which is not a mystery or thriller. It's kind of a suspense book, but it's more like dystopian than anything else. And it was very good. So I just wanted to say that. Um, But in terms of what I'm starting, I have... My library holds did the thing where like three books came in at the same time. I was on hold for the ebook of I'll Be Gone in the Dark, The Woman in the Window by A.J. Finn and The Drive by Jane Harper. I swear I didn't plan that. It just seems to fit very well with all the things that we talked about in the episode so far. Um, So I have all three of those on hold or the ebook version of those um, from the library right now. So hopefully I can get through all of them before I need to return them because I have um, hardcover versions of The Woodman in the Window and The Dry, but I always like to get the ebook version so I can read it while I'm on my train commute on my Kindle. Um, so those are what I have planned to read. I'm not going to give synopsis of those because we've talked about those books a lot already, both in this episode as well as in previous episodes. So if you don't know what any of those are about, then you haven't been paying very close attention so far. Um, so... <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's all I have for my like status update because I haven't really read much and I'm not really sure which one I'm going to pick up next. But I think it's going, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm going to read the dry before the next episode just because everyone's been talking about it. So I feel like I need to read that one for sure. Um, the other ones, and I want to read I'll Be Gone in the Dark, but I'm also a big scaredy cat and everyone just keeps talking about how scary parts of it is, parts of it are. Because um, like even one of our different contributors are like, yeah, I read some of it and was like scared to go to sleep at night. And I was like, oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to read it, but there's a chance that I won't end up reading it because I'll probably get scared like 20 pages in and be like, I can't do this. (laughs) I'll read it for you. (laughs) There you go. I mean, that works too, but I also am really interested too. So I don't know. I might just need to suck it up. (laughs) Read 20 pages, put it in the freezer. Read another (laughs) 20 pages, put it in the freezer. I know. I might need to buy a physical copy of this because I can't do that with my Kindle. (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. No, no, no. That wouldn't be good. All right. So on that note, I believe that's our show. Um, So thanks so much to everyone for listening. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen and head over to the Red or Dead page. There'll be links to all of the news articles that we talked about, as well as all of the different books that we talked about, as well as links to the Book Riot mystery thriller giveaway. Make sure you guys go and enter that. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so other people can discover us. If you want to send us show suggestions or you want to give us feedback or just like let us know what you think of unreliable narrators, you can email us at redordead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincy A. And you can find me on Twitter at KT underscore Library Lady. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.